0: Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and YouTube. Enjoy. Data is now the driving force of the world's modern economies. It fuels innovation in businesses, large and small, and has been a lifeline during the global coronavirus pandemic. Sharing information quickly, efficiently and ethically has allowed institutions firms and governments to coordinate the pandemic response and change the way we view data itself but despite a new national data strategy to improve data use in government the subsidy control bill has been put under scrutiny as it currently does not require the government to publish or disclose any subsidies awarded to firms under five hundred thousand pounds if awarded via a scheme this has obviously some serious transparency and accountability issues. With me to discuss government data and the Subsidy Control Bill is Anna Powell-Smith, a public interest technologist and the director of the Centre for Public Data. She was also the founding technical director at the University of Oxford's Data Lab, which uses data to help doctors make better decisions. In her article for CapEx, she questioned the government's thinking behind the bill and call for reform as it goes through the parliamentary machine. Welcome, Anna. Anna, could you explain what the national data strategy is um, and why is there a need for data strategy and how, is it, and how has it affected government policymaking uh, since its publication?
1: Yeah, so the national data strategy is this kind of enormous document. Um, it's owned by DCMS, but it assigns responsibilities all across government really. Uh, It's quite new. So it was published in December, 2020. um, And it's very excitable and it promises to do lots of things. Um, And one of them, and the key thing we're going to talk about, I think, is using data to drive better delivery of policy and public services. Uh, And it's got this sort of slightly Silicon Valley-esque language around that. So it talks about uh, a radical transformation of how the government understands and unlocks the value of its own data. Uh, so it's kind of sounds really exciting and promising. Uh, but I mean, I think if you work in data, one thing you learn quite fast is it's a lot easier to say things than to do them. Uh, so although it's a new document, we we have to look at what's, what's the government actually doing in terms of using data to unlock the value of its own uh, services and to drive efficiency and improve services and so on. Um, and one kind of worrying thing that's happening at the moment is the subsidy control bill, which was reforming huge amounts of government spending, in terms of what the government is doing there with data, it's um, it's really a bit worrying, um, and we'll come on to that. But um, we have seen during the pandemic the government has delivered some very impressive things around data. The data dashboard has been great. You know there have been some kind of huge uh, policy delivery things that have worked. Um, but with this flagship policy, it's starting to look a bit more worrying. Um, and it suggests that some parts of government are still using a really old-fashioned lens to think about data and the costs and benefits of doing more with data. Um, so the ambition is not is not there yet, I would say. It's a new policy, but this is a bit worrying. Um, but there's still a low-cost opportunity for the government to do things better if it moves quickly.
0: Um, so the subsidy Control Bill is making its way through Parliament. It's currently at committee stage in the Lords. Um, as you bri- briefly mentioned, it's, it's a way of basically distributing taxpayers' money to subsidize certain firms and companies which the government believes um, is worth investment. Um, why is subsidy, Why is a subsidy database important to the UK's, UK's independent subsidy scheme?
1: Yeah, so um, as you said, subsidies are about how the government gives money out, like grants and cheap loans to businesses to support things it cares about, like regional development or net zero, R&D, that sort of thing. Um, it's quite a lot of money. So historically, it's uh, in recent years, it's been about £8 billion a year. Um, that's set to increase, as we know, um, the government's promised the highest levels of net public sector investments since the 1970s uh, recently. Um, so um, now that we've left the EU, we're reforming how we do subsidies. Um, and the government says this is a l- new flexible regime that it will give, um, that will allow it to hand out money um, more responsibly and more nimbly and more in tune with local demands. Um, so the difference, really, um, I will quote Lord Lamont, who said this in the Lords this week. Under the EU, no subsidy was legal until it was approved. Under this system, it is legal until it is struck down after legal proceedings in front of the Competition Appeal Tribunal. So basically under the EU, every subsidy had to be pre-approved with a few exceptions. Um, and now any subsidy made by any authority is legal unless it's challenged after the fact by another business um, or an interested party. So it's really a kind of quite radical change. Um, and what's important about the database here is the only way any business can challenge a subsidy that it's made that's made to a rival that might be unlawful or anti-competitive is if it sees it on the database says ah that's a problem and then it's got one month after it appears in the database to challenge it the database is really important because it's the only way any subsidy can be challenged Um, so not only is it kind of important for policy issues to actually make sure this policy of subsidies being challengeable works it's also obviously important for General transparency. So, where's all the money going, and is it being handed out properly? Um, and it's important for accountability. You know, what, um, who's giving out money, and for what? Um, and it's important for evidence as well. So, this eight billion pounds plus that is going out to businesses. Where is it going? Is it working? Which bits are working? How can we improve the system in the future to make sure it works? So, there's always been under the EU there was a database. But it wasn't really a sort of crucial part of making sure the regime worked, and now it really is really really important to uh, to the whole system.
0: I mean, the main issue that um, that you have under the current provision of the bill that you mentioned in your article for capex is that masses mm. masses of subsidies are never going to be published at all. Um, could you explain to our listeners, you know, why is that? Why is that the case? Is there a loophole in the legislation at the moment?
1: Yes, so it's sort of been copy pasted across from the. Um, the old EU system. Um, So under the EU, subsidies over 500,000 euros were published um, for sort of general transparency purposes. Uh, It was felt to be a good thing that was the case. And under the new bill as it stands, um, any subsidy over 500,000 pounds will be published um, with the exception that if it's part of a approved scheme and it's under half a million pounds, it won't be published. So an authority can say something like, we want to set up a scheme to, let's say, you know, encourage net zero R&D. And they'll publish that, the fact that scheme exists, but they won't have to publish the actual subsidies they actually award under that scheme on the database. Um, so what that means is they can then hand out subsidies of 499,000 pounds and none of that is public. So none of that, none of those individual subsidies are challengeable. Um, and in, one really important thing to say here is that limit is not cumulative. So there's nothing as it stands to stop a single company being given multiple subsidies of 499,000 pounds over and over again. None of that would ever be published. Um, so the next question obviously is, well, look, you know, maybe there aren't many smaller subsidies. Maybe this isn't a big deal. Um, but actually, we can work out by looking at EU data that of that 8 billion, about half of it typically is smaller subsidies under half a million euros. So it's around 4 billion a year. So what we're talking about is 4 billion a year of subsidies being published, probably more because the whole level is gonna go up without anyone seeing publicly where those have gone and without them being challengeable by other businesses who might be a a bit disgruntled about their rivals getting large amounts of money. Um, so some, I mean, some of these will potentially be FOIable. Um, there'll be sort of bits of local authority, scattered publication, but they won't be challengeable and they won't be centrally visible for people to see. So in practice, they're likely to be largely not scrutinized at all. And this is, you know, it is pretty worrying, isn't it? That's, uh, that's a lot of money. Uh,
0: absolutely. And of course, um, I'd wonder if you could maybe explain a bit more about how this would affect competition. Um, of, of you know, as you mentioned, I think in your article you you mentioned Professor Stephanie Rickard uh, told MPs um, that public authorities are more likely to follow the principles of the subsidy schemes if if awards are published. You know, um, could you explain a bit more about that and how how it's important that this data is readily available to avoid corruption and cronyism?
1: Yes, um, so I mean, publishing publishing more data would have many advantages and very, very few disadvantages. Uh, So as Professor Rickard pointed out, if you publish everything routinely, it's then a big incentive for authorities to make sure they're following the rules up front. Um, And again, the system at the moment is very reliant on authorities doing the right thing and judging internally that they've done the right thing. And as Professor Rickard points out, well, nobody's marking their homework. But if, you know, if, if authorities know that everything they do is going to be scrutinized, that's a big incentive for them to take more care, really. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the you know, Conservative government in the early part of the last decade uh, told local authorities, we want you to publish your spending over £500, um, which is, a you know, a cheap and straightforward thing to do. And it just means that people are paying a bit more attention to where money's going. Um, so, yeah, so there's publishing data has... Um, you know, creates an incentive for authorities to follow the rules. Uh, that's, that's one benefit. Um, so one thing we know about subsidies is they can be extremely harmful if they're misused. So they can damage competition by um, propping up failing firms. Uh, they can uh, damage competition between sectors. So certain sectors can be propped up for years when they're not competitive. Um, there can also be corruption and cronyism. So it's you know it's very easy for that to happen under, under future governments. Um, and if we don't know where the subsidies are going, then it's very hard to see how much of this is happening and it's very hard to challenge it. So publishing, I mean, publishing data is a blunt instrument. It's not perfect. Um, it won't stop every case. It won't identify every case, but it's a very simple, very straightforward, very low cost way to solve some of the sort of big problems that really you know really could damage the future scheme.
0: I mean the, the I mean obviously the legislature is, is a bill at the moment it's not law and it's going for the parliamentary process and things may change but mm. for now um, it's interesting as you said at the beginning you know why is the government not well the government not thought about that in this in the bill. And is it failing to modernize the state in, in the sense that it's not taking advantage of new ways of harvesting data, which could improve, as you say, transparency and uh, competition?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, so initially at consultation stage, um, Bayes seemed to be very concerned. This would be hugely burdensome for authorities to have to report this. Um, and the phrasing kind of suggested oh, you know, we're in this mindset of, for an authority to tell us about a subsidy and involve somebody filling out a paper form and posting it in and we've got to write it up and it would be hugely burdensome. Um, and we challenged this and said, look, actually, any authority now is going to have a spreadsheet of its subsidies and it's very easy for you to make a way for them to report that in a way that takes essentially no time. And the idea that having more subsidies would take them more time is kind of a 19th century way of thinking about things like now it's all automated. Uh, And actually when the impact assessment later came out, uh, I think they'd taken that on board and said, yes, we actually think if we required authorities to report everything onto our database, the extra cost of that across the whole country would only be 20,000 pounds per year which I still think is a bit high actually, but, um, but you know it's a fairly small cost in the context of an 8 billion pound subsidy scheme um, regime. So what's curious is that although Bayes have now assessed it in a slightly more realistic way and say we think the cost of doing this is only 20,000 pounds per year across the whole of the UK, we still think this cost is too high and we still think the burden on authorities is too great for it to be worth it and proportionate Against the possible benefits of doing this, uh, which is which is kind of baffling because you know you've only got to identify one subsidy of twenty thousand pounds that was awarded unlawfully or was harmful for it to outweigh the cost of reporting. So that's kind of strange. Um, and also what Bayes aren't considering that I think is, you know, again, not twenty first century in the way they're thinking about this is they're not saying, what are the benefits of publishing this data and what you know what what benefits could it create let's forget about the cost for a minute what how can it improve the scheme um and that's just not there in, in their thinking so yes i think um i think it's partly a kind of failure to think about data strategically uh, i think it's partly there is still an attitude in the civil service sometimes that um publishing data can be embarrassing so i wonder if it's partly about that Um, And I think also it just wasn't the database wasn't a policy priority. Just didn't get the sense that it was being considered at the same level as the strategic questions about, you know, how do we make the subsidy principles what we want them to be, which is a mistake because actually, as people have written, a lot of policy delivery now is about databases Um, and it might sound boring, but actually this is how you avoid really messing up your schemes and creating disasters. So I think, um, I think it's partly just, just not understanding that um, this is a really important part of reforming subsidies. Uh, and we can maybe, maybe talk about um, Lord Agnew's resignation this week where uh, it's got this dramatic resignation in the Lords really prompted by similar failures actually by very avoidable database failures. Um, this
0: was um, this was the furlough fraud. I I I, I think is that right?
1: Uh, yeah, the loans fraud. Yes. Um, yes. So the same department. So Bayes, um delivering an enormous forty-seven billion pounds worth of emergency COVID loans, um, prioritising speed, rightly at the beginning of the scheme. But what Lord Agnew's speech told us was. Uh, It took six weeks to get the most basic checks in place to make sure. uh, So one one way of defrauding the scheme, which it seemed a lot of people did, was to take your company and to apply for a loan across multiple different lenders. Um, So you could apply to, I think there were seven lenders and people applied to all of them. And it seems some were given loans wrongly um, by more than one bank, even though they should only be eligible for one loan. And the way you, I mean, the way you prevent that is incredibly simple. Every company has a number. The banks would simply need to share the numbers of the loans they'd made with the other banks. Um, It's very simple. But um, what we learned from Lord Agnew is that basic check took six weeks to put in place um, at the the, the start of the scheme, by which time more than half of the loans had already been made. Um, And, um, you know, he was obviously very frustrated by that. Uh, And again, I think that's just, you know, Bayes rightly scrambling to put the scheme in place, Bayes in the treasury scrambling to put the scheme in place very fast, but perhaps nobody in the room saying, let's have a conversation about fraud and let's have a conversation about data sharing between the banks of the most simple kind to prevent that. So again, this is, you know, this is a probably, you know, um, yeah, this is an avoidable data failure that has led to a, what well, Lord Agnew said, look, there's a penny on income tax at stake here. This is incredibly important. Um, and he's obviously very frustrated about that and about now different kinds of data failures within Bayes, which we can talk about more if, if we want to.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, but I just wanted to say uh, what you thought, You know, what's, what should happen next with the subsidy bill? And um, I mean, talking about the failures um, of you know, the furlough fraud and the race nation, um mm. do, do you think this bill could become a benchmark for government data for how government uses data across all aspects of the state you know is this a chance you know or is there a hope that um politicians will you know maybe agree with you on these matters and this this new <laughs> bill would be a new way to um think about how we use data in other aspects of government
1: so yes i mean in terms of what should happen next um The fix is quite simple. um, And the government should amend the bill to make sure that any subsidy over 500 pounds is included in the database, which would mean it would then be challengeable. Um, And it, yes, and it would mean that, um, you know, we have good information on who's getting subsidies for what and thus whether they're working. And that's a very straightforward amendment. And John Penrose, MP, who is the government's anti-corruption champion uh, introduced this amendment in the Commons with support of um, twelve of his conservative peers. Um, at the second reading in the Lords, there was lots of sub- lots of support for a measure like this from um, peers from every party, every major party. Um, it's, you know, it's well supported. it's straightforward to implement. There's really no reason not to do it. Um, the other thing that would be good to see would be timely publication. So at the moment, authorities have up to six months to put a subsidy on the database, which is, you know, in the modern world, again, is just ridiculously slow. Um, But conversely, once it appears, businesses only have one month to challenge it. So it's very asymmetric in terms of the burden it puts on businesses versus uh, public authorities. So yeah, again, we'd like to see that be much, much faster and much more real time in terms of reporting. So that is very straightforward to do. Government itself says it would only cost 20,000 pounds. It's um, well supported, lots of witnesses at committee stage, were kind can of exercise about transparency, lots of experts. Um, this measure has backing from everybody from Transparency International to the Taxpayers Alliance, um, You know, huge spectrum of support. Uh, it's really very straightforward to do. Um, and in terms of is the bill you know, a uh, benchmark. I mean, I think it is because it's a test for the government of you're making these premises about using data to transform efficiency in public services. This is one of your flagship policies. This is something you want to transform. You want to spend more money. You want to make a huge change. You want to take the opportunities of Brexit. If you're gonna do that, let's, um, let's think about the role data and evidence plays in that. Um, and let's do this very simple change to deliver on that, on that promise. Um, and really the government should think about this as an opportunity, not as a, as a cost. So yeah, I think it's a test can, can the government make this very simple, straightforward change to do what it says it wants to do on data or actually is the inertia, is the resistance in the civil service still too great. It's, it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, I, we look forward to maybe seeing some changes uh, and, and follow that bill closely. Um, <laughs> but uh, in your opinion, um, mm-hmm. how else could data improve public services and the operation of the state in people's lives uh, and the econ- the wider economy? We've just spoken about one bill mm-hmm. which is concerned with subsidies, but surely there's, there's, there's loads of areas where we could improve the way we harness data and, and use it to make costs, efficiencies and savings.
1: Yes, though, um, yes, absolutely. And the government is right that it's a huge opportunity. Um, I think the challenge is finding specific areas and delivering specific changes. Um, but there are plenty of them. Um, so my organisation focuses on kind of emerging areas of policy and legislation where there are opportunities to, to use data to deliver on the government's own stated policy priorities and make things better. Um, so a lot of the things we've been looking at are around spending because the government's doing a lot of spending. Um, one example that's related is farm payments. So again, a huge kind of flagship post-Brexit, let's reform the way we fund farms. Um, and we're shifting the system from, flat payments, common agricultural payment um, per acre to saying, actually, we'd like farmers to deliver certain goods, which might be environmental goods. Um, And again, we're gonna hand out money differently. We'd like to see information on where the payments are being made and for what being published and crucially being published with geospatial boundaries. That is something that DEFRA have internally. Um, It's something that if published, would give us much better information about where money is going and what it's doing and whether it's working. And then scientists can look at it and say, well, look, this scheme, you know, increased biodiversity 80%, and this scheme increased it by 10%. So here's some evidence about what's working. Um, it, you know, could increase public engagement with the countryside and with environmental improvements hugely. Um, if people actually understand what's happening, as opposed to the countryside being a mysterious place, mm. um, it creates value for startups who can do amazing things with this data. So that's something we'd like to see. Uh, and again, it's straightforward to implement. Um, it's something the government did previously with the countryside stewardship schemes so There's precedent. But, you know, that was only about 10 percent of all spending and now it's 100 percent. So that's a kind of low hanging opportunity. Um We're quite interested in regulation um, and the opportunities around using data in regulation to both make regulation more effective, but also make it more efficient by targeting bad actors better. So for example, in the gambling white paper, we know gambling is this hugely data-driven industry where gambling companies collect enormous amounts of data on customers, but the regulators really failed to keep pace with that um, and really asks regulators very small amounts of data and really doesn't do much with what it has. So we think there's much, there's an opportunity for the regulators to work much better in terms of, let's understand where the harms are being created in terms of potentially addictive gambling or excessive gambling that people can't afford. Let's ask companies to supply much better data on that and then let's react much more swiftly. So there's, an, you know, this gambling harms, something that lots of MPs are worried about from all parties um, it's not a party political issue at all um, and there's an opportunity to do it much better in the new in the new white paper um, and the third the third thing I'll talk about is um, is housing, which is probably the biggest policy problem of all I think for most people would agree now the government um, and there are opportunities there to do things better with data um, in particular, I think knowing, having a good understanding of where a house is being delivered, are there the houses people want to live in and are they ending up housing local people? Uh, and that's fundamentally a data problem, right? It's fundamentally joining up planning data with data on build quality, with data on sales and occupation. But those, are da- those data sets are held by different people in different places and joining them up is not trivial. But if the government could do that, it would have a much better sense of what's working, where and how. Uh, so that's a more complex opportunity. It's more difficult than spending, but it's um, it's a big one. It's a big opportunity.
0: I mean, that, that's quite interesting um, because um, I'm sure many, myself and listeners, you know, we talk about data a lot and um, don't mm. really you know, see the tangible link between a lot of like these policy areas and and using that data. I just wonder, mm-hmm. um, as a follow-up question, um, it, data protection acts and 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 you know protections on you know people accessing information. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're not really spoke about too much of about personal data, but I just wonder, <clears throat> obviously, um, in your professional opinion, is 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 are we are we too strict about protecting data is that hampering, you know um, our ability to you know um learn more and have more information or um or or is data protection not strict enough (laughs)
1: um i think the government's view is that it has sometimes been too strict and part of the role of the new information commissioner will be to rebalance some of that i think um i think what what I would say is that it is not always consistently applied um, and data protection can sometimes be used by authorities as a way to avoid sharing information. Uh, I, said, I would say the bigger problem as how do you get authorities to share information when doing so for that individual authority creates only costs and problems when for society it's hugely beneficial. Uh, and actually for ministers you know, who want to achieve wins, it can be very beneficial, but within the department, sharing the data only creates costs and problems. How do you incentivize civil servants in departments to share data? That's, that's the big challenge. I mean, we saw in the early days of the pandemic, we saw data protection being used as an excuse really to not share data um, with local authorities um, and this was despite the, the kind of relevant authorities in the NHS and in the ICO's office very early on had said there's a pandemic on share data as you need to, to save lives. It's not a problem. Um, we still saw authorities refusing to share. Um, so I think what we need is I think the government's right. That what we need is a regulator who's sometimes a bit more muscular about saying, come on, this isn't, we've, responsibly considered the balance of problems here and we think it's okay to share, come on, get on with it, Um, but also is prepared to intervene in cases where there are genuine harms being done. Um, So in that sense, I think the reform of the ICO is probably positive. Um, But yeah, the bigger bigger challenge and the bigger failures for me tend to be about not sharing data enough where there's an opportunity to do so. and data protection sometimes being used as an excuse not to share things.
0: Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. But thank you, uh, Anna Powell smith for joining me today. I think it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, To our listeners, I hope you'll join us again next week.